Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here. Before the episode starts, we actually do have a sponsor, so we wanted to go ahead and tell you about that. Um, with the Oscars just around the corner, now's the perfect time to introduce you to Fantasy Oscars. Uh, a few years ago, Battleship Pretension listener Gus in D.C. went looking for a fun, free Oscar ballot game and couldn't find one, so he made one. A Fantasy Oscars is an easy-to-use ballot prediction game with a lot of personality and some great extras. You can choose a classic movie avatar and even use the app in a Spanish language mode, so that's helpful. Uh, Gus is so excited to share Fantasy Oscars for the first time with Battleship Pretension listeners. Once you've signed in, you can create your own league, invite your friends and family to get your ballot score against each other there's a special league set up for listeners just visit fantasyoscars.co slash bp to join that's fantasyoscars.co slash bp fantasy oscars has been a great addition to gus's oscar festivities every year and he hopes you'll have as much fun with it as his family has so we'll see you all at fantasyoscars.co slash bp thank you so much gus for uh sponsoring the show and for setting up uh this fun way to enjoy the oscars one of the reasons you know we've talked about the oscar draft uh on battleship pretension and uh one of the reasons that we do it is it, it it's another way to enjoy this season and so gus has set that up so uh be sure to go to fantasyoscars.co slash bp now let's get started with the show Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, well, as um, people who listen to the movie journal know, I am actually a tad under the weather. Um, mm-hmm. So, so far, uh, 99% sure I don't have COVID. <laughs> um, but um uh, I will know by the time you're hearing this, I will know if I have code or not because it'll have gotten tested, but um, uh, I probably don't because Natalie didn't. <laughs> um, that is, that's, yeah, that's, that's who I got a, it from. Like, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She tested negative twice, and that's clearly where I got this from. So yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just a cold. But uh, that has got me thinking about um, the. Uh, the pandemic I, I will eventually get this to a movie movie related thing don't, okay don't don't worry um i have been kind of annoyed i think at the it, it feels like there have been times when restrictions were dropped because it was the numbers supported it like a year sure. ago may you may june 2021 now it feels like restrictions keep being dropped because everyone's just just sick of them and doesn't care anymore. But the the numbers right now don't really support, I feel like, all of this um these restrictions being being dropped. Like I've been, you know, um I'm supposed to at my job job I'm supposed to return to the office next month. And I always knew that I would there was gonna be a return to, to office date, but I, I feel um a little bit weirded out that it's happening when there are still like 
1500 Americans officially dying of COVID every day. Yeah. Um, that's not, those are not endemic numbers. That's still, obviously it's been worse at other points in the pandemic, but those are still pandemic sure. numbers. Um, so that's been, uh, uh, that's been on, on my mind that like, um, you know, I'm not opposed to returning to work. I had been pre Omicron. I had been going into the office somewhat, uh, regularly, but I, it, it does feel like a weird, uh, time now which is why i was at least um ha- uh happy to see that um the tcm film festival despite the uh the law no longer requiring this is still keeping most of their pro like covid protocols in terms of like um you have to be vaccinated you have to do a wellness check when you get there which i know right. well those wellness checks are mostly just theater but uh <laughs> you, have to do a check. you have to you do have to wear your mask um, at the TCM uh, fest next month, um, and I—I uh, uh, I, I don't know. I—I I, I want to get to a point where I feel like I like I'll probably wear a mask in a lot of situations longer than I have to because, like, you know. Natalie and I spent a lot of time with her parents who are like right. older and have some, some health issues. So I've been very cautious about that sort of thing. I want to get to a point where like I might go into a shop to pick something up and have a mask on and the person behind the counter might not have a mask and that's not going to bother me. Right. That's what I want to get to. I don't think numbers wise we're, we're there yet. At least I'm not. Um, right. uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how you feel uh, about that, but um, I, I I do feel happy that the TCM Film Festival, which, admittedly, a lot of people who attend the TCM Film Festival are, are older. That's, I was I was I didn't want to be a jerk about it, but I was going to mention that that uh, yeah. yeah certainly and and in your situation uh, especially I'd say as you you know you you do have interaction like you're not really that worried for your health or Natalie's health like uh, yeah, yeah we're young, but, healthy and vaccine boosted so yeah but even something like like omicron like even though it's not quite as as uh heavy hitting as as previous variants like for an older person like it can be maybe not lethal but can it can definitely like be debilitating and so for for somebody like yourself i certainly don't uh i certainly would not judge your um caution Um, and for me, yeah, it's, it's weird. I like, I actually just got, uh, my booster. Um, I meant to get it. Well, I was scheduled to get it back in January, but because I got COVID, they wouldn't let me oddly enough. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, and then like the, the mask thing, like I'm, I'm, I'm fine with wearing a mask for a while. Like it's, it really, and I understand there are people for whom they talk about, like, you know, if someone has breathing issues or if someone reads lips or that, like the whole mask thing can be a difficult, a whole difficult uh, situation. And certainly, and I'm, I'm a little bit conscious of it as far as like the kids are concerned, like, you know, for a long time, our kids didn't see any adults except us uh, without, masks so as as far as faces go and we weren't showing them any like movies or tv or anything uh so it's just like uh 
So as far as kids go, like people are going to be, I think, explore, you know, examining the, the effects of COVID, both the, the COVID itself and also our, our attempts to fight it, I think for a long time. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, like I'm fine with wearing a mask, even if it, even if it just provides somebody else peace of mind. Um, I think you and I were talking, um, I think you and I were talking maybe off mic where you were talking about like uh, going into work with a, with a cold and that normally that wouldn't really bother you that much, but given this, the atmosphere, even if you can assure them, like I got tested, it's just a cold, but it would still put people on edge. Yeah. And, you know, after a certain point, you can't necessarily, there's always going to be someone on edge and you don't want to cater that completely. But I do feel like certainly in the midst of this, like, I think we're, getting to be on the other side of it, there's a downturn, but I don't think we're out of it yet. So right now uh, I'm perfectly fine with, with an organization or a business or whatever, being, being cautious and even promoting caution. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I guess that's why I'm uh, kind of weirded out that uh, I feel like my employer's not being as cautious as they have been. Like, I I just feel like everyone's just sick of it, I guess. But like in May, like late May, early June of 2021, as far as like death, the seven day average of deaths yeah. in the U S it was sub 200, which I don't want to be in a position of saying like, Oh good. Only 150 people die. That's still sure. sad. Sure. But the truth is that's, that's comparable to the flu, to be honest. Right. And, and it's a, it's a risk we've lived with. And so that made sense. Now we're at a place where it's like close to like 14, 1500 and like a seven day average it's falling, which is good. But haven't we learned from Delta and Omicron that we don't like, there could be another variant at like at any point we're not like out of the woods on that yet. I I, I just, I guess I wish, I wish we could hold off until we were back at that sub 200 seven day average deaths in the U S and the numbers that we were at a, a year ago, almost a year ago, uh, before we start like tossing our masks off and, and, and rushing back into indoor spaces together. And the cynic in me, and this is not, in my view, this is not a, a party line thing. The cynic in me is like, well, it's midterms this year. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, uh, and if this stuff, if these measures are not popular, the end and the party in power, which at the moment is the Democrats and they have that the Senate house and the white house, uh, and if what, and if they are pushing for these and, and people are not happy with it, then it's like, Oh, they might vote us out. Uh, and, and again, I, I genuinely think if it were the opposite, if it were Republicans that had all of them, then whatever the status quo is, if someone's not happy with it, then like we promise we'll change it. Um, just, just please keep us in office. Uh, and that's the cynic in me. That's the, uh, you know, the, uh, the high school freshman is like, fuck these guys, man. Although I probably wouldn't have said it that way. Um, anyway, uh, but yes, so, yeah. and good for good for TCM Fest for among other things, you know, you and I were joking about it, but it is true. It's like recognizing who their audience is, who their clientele yeah. is and trying to protect them. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, um, that's all uh, that's going on in my Sure. <laughs> except uh for the music that i've been listening to which i've been listening to my tweaked audio.com earbuds let me tell you about tweaked audio.com earbuds tell you they're available at a low low price no tweaked audio.com are professional quality earbuds there we go 
um, in a variety, in a variety of <laughs> stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today I was listening. Normally I use this, uh, uh no, no, a lot of times I use this, uh, the, this, this segment to, uh, try and wow Tyler with some weird band name. Okay. But I, w- I would say, uh, this time I- I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say, uh, Tyler, today I was listening to a new album from a band that I believe you like. Okay. I was listening to the new album by the Eels. Oh, I didn't. And see, like, I'm, even though I like them and I have several uh, of their albums, I, uh, I don't keep up with things. So I didn't even know they had a new album, but yes, I do. I do really like Eels. Yeah. Just so Eels. I believe it is just Eels. You're right. Uh, Eels, um, has, a uh, um, uh, a new album called Extreme Witchcraft. It's very eelsy. If you like eels, you'll like it. Uh, Tyler, I had this conversation with uh, my wife the other night. Um, when you think eels, what is the first song that comes to your mind? It's tough. I'm not the one to ask, I think, because uh, I think I, I came at them from like an odd angle. Okay. Um, so for me, it's a, a song called Fresh Blood. Okay. Um, which I love. Um, and that, and that album, uh, Ombre Lobo is, uh, the, the album that got me started on them, but I know that they've had more popular songs, but that's the first one I think. But I think this is my argument that Eels are one of those bands kind of like LCD sound system that have a big following, but like everyone seems to have a different favorite song. Sure. Um, cause now they were saying, uh, Novocaine for the soul is, Oh yeah. That's, that's a big Um, one for them. For me, it's Lucky Day in Hell. That's the okay. um, the the song, which I think is probably because it's on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack. And I probably, sure. it might've been the first Eels song I heard when I was like a, a high school freshman or whatever um, yeah. and, and and heard that. Anyway, um, we all like Eels. Sound great at TweakedAudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com. If you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back. And Tyler, we are one week away from counting down our top 10 plus honorable mentions, plus underrated, plus overrated, plus worst, uh, movies of 2021. Um, but, uh, that means it's time for what used to be one of our favorite episodes. Now it's one of my favorite episodes. Now it's just your idea. It was back when I saw things. Yeah. Uh, now it's, it's just an opportunity to show, you know, how much of a, an imposter I am and that sort of thing. So, uh, as I just implied next week, we are going to be talking about, uh, hopefully there'll be some overlap. Um, we're going to be talking about 18 movies each, a top 10, five honorable mentions, um, underrated movie of the year, overrated movie of the year and worst movie of the year. Um, 
though not in that order. We'll do in the opposite order. Correct. Uh, so today, to be more positive as we yes, go. Yes, exactly. So today we are going to be talking about movies that won't be within those eighteen movies. This is where we're, we're picking five movies each that didn't quite make our lists, but that we think didn't get deserve more attention than they got or than yeah. they got good movies. We liked that maybe flew a little bit under the radar, or as we say, fell through the cracks. So this is through the cracks, 2021. Um, and, uh, now as you were saying, um, as your life responsibilities have changed over the past couple of years, your viewership in general has gone way down. Yes. There are only four movies here that I'm comfortable characterizing as through the cracks. And then one of them I was able to justify to myself. Okay. So have I seen I, any of your five? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. Cause I don't think you've seen any of mine either. Um, but in any case, I think I guess I that's will the nature start. of it. Yeah. Yeah. That is the nature of it. Um, I will, I will start. Okay. Um, and I, I, this was not by design, but, um, so I'm counting down like to my favorite of the, through the cracks. I'm ranking them like I did, uh, like I would with a, any other, any other list. Um, but, uh, only my number one, I guess, if we're going to count down, um, mm. is the only one that's not a documentary. Four of my five are documentaries. Wow. One of yeah. my five is a documentary. So there you go. Um, and I think, you and I have just, uh, just as an overall statement before I dive in, um, you and I have, I think rightfully in recent years, past five or more years, been pretty rough on mainstream documentaries because it's become, there's become a, like a, co- a go-to style. There's a cookie cutter. It yeah. feels like, it feels like these things are coming out of a, a factory and industry, you know, um, the, uh, uh, there's a, there's a formula. Yes. Uh, and I think, I, I worry or, or I've in putting together this li- list, I started to think, I wonder if people think that I just don't like documentaries anymore. And maybe this list is subconsciously uh, a way for me to argue that, uh, no, there's still a lot of good documentaries yeah. being made. They're just under the radar or through the cracks. Uh, if you, so, um, I'm Thank going you for to staying on brand. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I am going to start with a documentary from China, uh, of which I saw many this year, but uh, I'm highlighting this one in particular. Uh, by many, I guess I mean like three, but that still seems uh, like a lot of Chinese documentaries. Sure. It's above average for me in terms of Chinese documentaries. Um, but my favorite of them is uh, Chong Wang's All About My Sisters, which is a three-hour-long immersive uh, uh, documentary um uh, and it's the 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 title is not just a clever title it's actually she's making a documentary about her sisters more importantly her or, or in general her family in general um and i'm really drawn uh to that sort of thing not like the external documentarian but the person who is documenting their own life um uh, or, or is 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 uh, tied to the subject in in some way. Uh, this this but this movie isn't just an experiential get to know my family documentary. It has a there's a story that she's telling that is a really fascinating 
um, and at times very upsetting story, a, a story that could be very damning of uh, Chinese laws at certain part points of, of the past, uh, where um, basically her mother was pregnant, uh, became convinced, it turned out was right, but became convinced she was going to have a daughter, didn't want a daughter. So as soon as the, uh, um, so she tried to have an, she attempted to abort the pregnancy. It didn't work. The baby survived the abortion, was born, and then the mother abandoned the baby like at a uh, elementary school. I can't remember. It's been a while since I watched that. I can't remember exactly. Some sort of government building uh, uh, abandoned it. So the baby gets in the system and then ends up getting adopted by the director's parents, like brother or sister. Like basically aunt, her aunt and uncle end up raising this child that is her biological sister. But also no one is, it's not a secret. So this girl like grows up being raised down the street from the people that she knew got rid of her. Um, and so, like I said, it's an aunt and uncle. So it's all one big family. They're all very much like in each other's <laughs> business all the time. Yeah. Um, and this poor girl is, I mean, it's all of my sisters plural, but it really is mostly about the one uh, younger sister who is a you know a man without a country in 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 some ways that she um sometimes calls different people mom and dad um hmm. and uh there's but there's a way there's a superficial way that this movie could have been made which is about like and then this crazy thing happened like, can you believe this like that the you know very like uh uh page turner type of documentary you've seen those kind of doc documentaries yeah. they're, they're often the kind we don't like um these sort of pop documentaries uh but this is more about the fallout it's a uh, it's a movie that lingers it's a three hour long documentary that that uh lingers in what this family is and what they are to each other um and how this thing that is now happened decades ago is uh continues to and will never stop reverberating through this this family uh all about my sisters all right um i'll go ahead and 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 get my documentary out of the way because in many ways it is the kind of documentary that you and i uh, have been talking about that feels kind of cookie cutter um and i think one of the reasons that that i tend not to like those kinds of documentaries is there there's usually a, a distance from the material um, while, while also just having, uh, kind of a, a very, um, benevolent interest, just like someone sitting back with their, with, you know, their, uh, their, their head on their fist being like, Oh yes. Okay. That's very interesting. And it's just like, yeah, that, that tends not to be the tone of any movie that I like. Um, certainly I'm fine with interest, but, uh, I, I tend to want something, especially with a documentary, I tend to want something a little bit more involved. And so uh, the movie Woodstock 99, Peace, Love and Rage, directed by Garrett Price, it has, you know, the talking, uh, you know, talking head interviews, uh, it, talking about things in retrospect. Um, 
but I feel like it goes, it goes maybe one step further, maybe even two, um, because first off it does, you know, a lot of the stuff there was filmed both the performances, but then also the insanity of Woodstock 99. And so that in itself, incorporating that much material, that material does give a sense of immediacy to things. So you can see things devolve over time. And so that in itself is, is already a step in the right direction, but then also the people that they talk to, it would have been very easy to simply talk to people that were there. Uh, and you know, people that were reporting on it at the time, that's, that's fine. And that, that could feel like a complete documentary, but what I like about it is that they're willing to go a little bit further and ask, well, why, why did this happen? Why is this so different than the first Woodstock? Why is it different than Woodstock 94? Um, what was happening in the audience at the time and not just the audience that were there, but in the larger listening audience, um, what was happening in music at the time that maybe brought this on? Then they go even further and say, you know what? Woodstock 69 wasn't exactly Woodstock either. Like, that also had quite a bit of uh, inappropriate uh, behavior and we romanticize it. Uh, and, but that's a big part of the modern relationship between like baby boomers and Gen X or baby boomers and millennials. And it explores that as well. And I feel like it didn't anytime a movie that's just like you, there's a, there's a baseline of what you need to do for this to feel at least done and anytime a movie like this goes past that and it starts asking questions that are that are not the obvious questions asking why this happened that's a, that is an obvious question but then going but then actually going out of its way to demythologize uh Woodstock 69 i think is that is going beyond it um because and in doing so again it talks about the relationship between generations and the attitude between generations, which is obviously something that we're talking about. Now we are talking about, you know, when people talk about boomers and millennials and just complaining about these different generations, uh, Woodstock 99, like taps into that by not by talking about something that's happening now, but something that happened, you know, at this point, 23 years ago. Um, and so it is, you know, it's not going to be, it's not the, 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 uh, super engaging, uh, documentary that you're talking about, but as far as these types of mainstream documentaries, this one feels like a cut above, uh, and it is worth watching. I would say. So apparently, Woodstock '94 gets off scot free. That that one went off without a hitch, except for when um, Mike Dirnt from Green Day slipped on stage and knocked his teeth out. Uh, I yes, they they spend about 20 minutes talking about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's, they don't necessarily let it off, but they do say like that one seemed at least a little bit more generally successful. And the tone of it was a little bit more in line with what the concept of Woodstock was. Whereas 99, like there was just such a palpable anger. Yeah. Um, and that really but Woodstock 94 was also like, so corporate, like, Oh yes. I, like yes. I have memory, I have memories of like, there being ads for like Woodstock 94 presented by Pepsi. Yes. Like I, I yeah, remember they do talk about those. that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Not sure it's who where, the sponsors I, were for Woodstock 99. I mean, yeah, they talk about how, how that's really corporate as well. And yeah. that that kind of ran against the general vibe of the people there, not because they were hippies, but because 
they viewed themselves as like sort of rebels and and the idea of, of Woodstock 99 being a corporate thing is something that uh, the audience themselves and the artists themselves were not in favor of. So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's interesting. Um, all right. Well, I'm moving on to another, uh, I guess documentary is how I'm loosely uh, describing this movie. That's how it's listed on IMDb. Um, but it's also a bit of a experimental filmmaking. It's uh, Bill Morrison's The Village Detective, A Song Cycle. Uh, and this is a, a document. Bill Morrison works in his, his sort of medium as a filmmaker is decaying film that he okay. captures the way that the images are changed by mm. film falling apart. Uh, and so the, this movie is kicked off by, or I guess the making of this movie is kicked off when a uh, reel of film that was oddly well-preserved, but not perfectly preserved was found at the bottom of the, like, I can't, some see. Um, uh, uh, Mediterranean. I know that one. No, I think it's somewhere. Else. Anyway, uh, and it turns out to be a copy of a Soviet film from the sixties called the village, De- village detective, um, which uh, is interestingly, like you, you think like, Oh, they found this lost film. It's like, Oh no, this is like, we see like clean footage from the village detective as well. This is clearly a film that exists that you yeah. can, can watch. It's just this copy uh, fell to the bottom of the sea, but that's what we see a lot of within Bill Morrison. Uh, uses it as a sort of um, jumping off point to make a film about the career of the star of the village, village detective. His name was uh, Mikhail Zaroff, who was a, uh, for decades, a very popular actor in, in Soviet uh, uh, cinema. So we see a lot of clips um, from him, but there's, there's a, uh, as often I think happens with Bill Morrison's films because they're about decay, there's a sadness to um uh the the fact that this guy made a career in starting movies and touched people's lives and we're watching a movie about him because one copy was found at the bottom of the of of the ocean and it's and it's falling apart and so there's this um uh, i think meditation on the idea that legacy dissolves Mm. Um, but also there's, it's not all sad. There's, there's an honoring of this, yeah. of, of, of this actor at, at the same time. Uh, but this is all accompanied by, uh, the very hypnotic way that Bill Morrison uses, uh, warped and decayed, uh, uh, images, uh, moving images that has mm. marked all of his work. So yeah, the village detective, a song cycle. All right. Uh, so let's uh, keep it going with sort of the, the concept of experimentation. Um, I, uh, I interviewed uh, the director, uh, Yannick Ambrose, um, dire- who made uh, Mondo Hollywood Land. Um, so you can go back and listen to that episode. Uh, Yannick's a, a really fun guy. Uh, and Mondo Hollywood Land is not a, it's not a perfect film, but it's an ambitious film and a an often ridiculous film, but like in a, in a fun way, um, it is, it's hard to describe purely in terms of story um, because it is more just there, there are um, 
you know, there are little vignettes that do sort of vaguely tie together, not necessarily at the end, sometimes just throughout. Uh, and it just is, you know, and it, it follows a guy who's, who's a drug dealer. I think mushrooms in particular, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so the, it does try to capture that idea. And as, as I was looking earlier today, as I was looking at like user reviews on letterbox uh there are a lot of people that don't care for it and then there are people who said like you should probably watch this high well i watched it stone cold sober and i enjoyed it sober and I as liked... a judge exactly are judges sober they better be i think well, that's I mean, the idea is at least on the at least on the bench yeah as sober yeah. as an on the bench you know in you know in session judge let's say yeah. that yeah. and i really liked mondo hollywood land like it's 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 low budget i don't mean to keep like talking about like the negative things it's more just like these are the things that you'll probably notice when you first start watching it and i would say just like continue because it is at first it seems to be like a space alien is making his own little documentary trying to figure out the, uh, what the concept of mondo means uh and then it moves away from that uh, as we follow this uh, dealer, uh, but then we come back to it uh, and then we have these side characters, one of them played by Yannick himself doing a very, I think a very good Ben Shapiro impression. Uh, and, um, and uh, which is, which is really funny and, and a little jarring when it happens as is the case. Anytime uh, you hear somebody like Ben Shapiro, because he has a, very 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 fast way of speaking um but uh but yeah and so um it's it's a film that is unabashedly political and in ways that you know i don't necessarily agree with but i don't i don't care because it's it's just the kind of thing that i i like seeing stuff that i haven't really seen before even if it's low budget even if i don't agree with it even if it's not always successful, I just like that somebody is, you know, you use the term earlier, uh, or maybe, maybe it was in the, uh, the journal. I don't remember, but the idea like Yannick is just following his muse and whatever feels right to incorporate into this ridiculous over the top, but also oddly subtle and often quite visually beautiful movie. Um, whatever he feels like needs to be included, uh, is included. And, it's the kind of thing that it could be a big turnoff to a lot of people. And there are moments where I felt like, I don't know if I'm on board with this. And then, so, and then I, I'm not going to say the story. I'll just say the movie takes a turn and suddenly I'm back on board. And uh, yeah, I just really, I just really liked it. And I don't, I don't really know where it's available. I'm sure you can find it somewhere online, but, uh, but it's worth seeking out if you have, if you have an open mind. It feels like uh the reason we do this episode. Yes, <laughs> very much like so. that. Um, I am trying to see if you can. Uh, find, oh, if you have uh, Amazon Prime, you can stream Mondo Hollywood Land right now. Great. Yeah. Um, all right. So next up for me is another documentary, third out of four documentaries. Um, and I had to pull up the director's names because there's three directors. So it is uh, Rosina Fatego Mbakum, Anne Van Deren and Eleonora Yamiogo's Prism, P R I S M. Right. Uh, and this is definitely a movie that um, could be seen as a companion piece to one of the other best documentaries of 2021, which is Theo Anthony's All Light Everywhere. Because uh, All Light Everywhere is a 
uh, a documentary about how you that ultimately gets at the the idea that cameras are not as objective as we like to to think uh and prism is more about film itself cellular film is not as objective as we we might think it, it the jumping off point is the fact that um and when i did this on movie journal i forgot if it was kodak or some other company but i can't remember used to make these um these images that were meant to like you were supposed to uh uh what's i'm looking for oh man i'm see i'm under the weather and i'm uh uh losing my vocabulary uh like you're supposed to pitch the colors is a word I'm looking for. Um, calibrate, oh, calibrate yes, is what yes. I'm looking for. Supposed to calibrate the colors and stuff to this image that had these colors in it, but also had a woman at the, at the center who was known as a China girl, even though they were almost always white women. And mm-hmm. so the um, the movie takes the prism takes a jumping off point is the idea that like um, film itself, not cinema, but, but film itself is like white centric is like built to look like to treat whiteness as the baseline as the default um and so that becomes a the jumping off point two of the three directors are black women uh there's a um surprising like uh, real uh serendipitous uh funny but also um telling part where the three directors are trying to meet over like zoom and the one one of the black women the i don't know if it's zoom it could be i don't want to like throw zoom under the bus whatever software they're using the 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 software keeps trying to like it keeps putting her into shadow and her background like like focusing on her background like she keeps having to move to different parts of the point of of her of her home to to do the zoom call because the camera keeps trying to like put her in the shadows and it like yeah. it, it illustrates that like um this sort of uh, uh issue in this way of of thinking and creating the technology around imagery um uh is 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 still with us but this is a this is not a uh polemic this movie yeah. um the, this is a, a movie that's for and by cinephiles because it's uh, uh it, it it goes on to talk about more things about what the um camera assumes or what the person using the camera assumes what the viewer assumes about about uh images but it's also full of beautiful images itself it's a, it's a movie about it's a documentary about filmmaking in in many ways like i think if you were i don't think this movie would play well to someone who would be interested in the topic, but is not already a, sure. uh, uh, a cinephile. Like it's clearly made for people who think uh, uh, well below the surface of uh, uh, when it comes to what images mean and how they are uh, wielded and how they're, how they're built and how they're distributed. Uh, yeah. And that uh, I should, I should be saying, where we should say on the through the cracks episode yeah where you can see this stuff so both all about my sisters and uh prism i <laughs> saw i was like stuffed up so i had to make sure the movie's not called prison it's prism p-r-i-s-m um those are both available 
on the Ovid app. If you uh, if you have the Ovid app, it's uh, well worth it, especially if you like documentaries. They've got a lot of them. And uh, the Village Detective is uh, rentable where you rent movies, you know, Voodoo and Apple TV and stuff like that. Uh, oh, and through Kino now. Sorry. Woodstock 99, unfortunately, is only available, as far as I can tell, on HBO Max. Uh, sorry. Uh, wait. Yeah. HBO Max is what it is. Right. For yeah. a moment, I, I, I get I have these weird things where, like, you know, there's a term you that, you know, is the correct term. But for the briefest moment, you doubt yourself. It's like, wait, is it HBO Go? No, that's what it was before. It's Max yeah. now. Right. But it's not um, HBO now. No, that's different. Yeah, that's because that thing. wasn't like, yeah, there was a time when there was like HBO now and HBO go and they were yeah. different things. Like one was for people who had cable. Yeah. And one was a standalone. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Um, OTT, I guess over the top is what we call those. Uh, oh, eh, interesting terms. Um, but now it's all just HBO max. Yes. Uh, and I'm glad of that. Um, okay. So uh, this next film, you know what? I'm going to pull it up right now so I can tell you where you can see it. Um, although I actually think I saw it uh, scrolling through Canopy the other day, and I think I saw that it was on Canopy. Yes, it is. It is also on Hulu, um, along with very other, various other places. It is called Small Engine Repair. It's directed by John Polano, who also wrote it, uh, adapting his play, and he also plays the lead character. So it is very much the John Polano show, but it does also star... Uh, John Bernthal and Shea Wiggum uh, primarily. So, um, <clears throat> so Small Engine Repair is a film that I could definitely. It's based on a play, and you can tell. Uh, it's it it has that uh, American Buffalo quality to it. Not merely because you know it's it takes place in like just a a, a heavily art directed junky kind of place, but also the types of characters that we're dealing with, you know, very blue collar guys who, uh, you know, good natured ribbing can very, very, very quickly <laughs> turn to right. something, uh, quite ugly. Um, and, and that is, I think the point of the film I could, it is at times uh, a very unpleasant film. Like there are times when I do not want to spend any time with these characters at all and anything bad that could befall them. I'm totally on board with, um, but, uh, but just, you know, when you, when you're starting to head down that path, the characters themselves seem to become not self-aware, not to the degree that they know that they're in a movie, but they start to recognize their own behavior, uh, and start to recognize like, oh, you know what? I don't think this is appropriate. Um, they don't put it that way, but you see them like start to veer away from the type of anger, the type of joking, sometimes the, the physical uh, abuse that they might uh, heap on one another. Um, and you see it as it, it is very much a film about masculinity, um, toxic and otherwise, you know, not every kind of masculinity is toxic masculinity. Um, it's a term that I think it gets used quite a bit. And some of the stuff that I've heard people refer to is like, oh, well, that's just toxic masculinity. It's like, well, I guess anything, if you push it, too far in, an, in a certain direction can become toxic, but that doesn't mean the thing is inherently that, you know? And so, you know, these guys, the, the, I think people like you and, and me, David, I think we are inclined to talk very openly and at length about our feelings yeah. and, and our, and our thoughts, but also, uh, you know, analyzing our relationship to each other and all that. And, you know, there, there are guys that just won't do that. 
And that's actually okay. You know, if it means that they are being emotionally stunted, that's not okay. But if they actually are uh, capable of showing affection, capable of adapting to uh, certain emotional circumstances, then like, yeah, that's, that's okay. It doesn't have to look like this. And that's something I have to remind myself of. And you watch a movie like small engine repair and you see these, these guys who have been very set in their ways for a long time and they are starting to shift. It's it, they're only starting to, you know, next step is don't do this thing as opposed to you do it and then you apologize for it. But the apology itself, you get the impression like, all right, if this movie took place five years before in their lives, that wouldn't happen either. And so there's, there's a lot of good going on in the film, a lot of great performances, some good writing. Uh, there is, you know, there is a, uh, an actual story going on uh, that involves some pretty heinous stuff. And I could see people taking issue with like how they, how the, the story is resolved, the conflict is resolved. But I would say that even that, even that resolution plays into the themes of the film. These characters ultimately capitalizing on the concept of toxic masculinity um, to uh, make things better. Um, and if I won't spoil it, but like, if you've, if you've seen the film, you know what I mean? Um, so uh, it's a really, it's a really interesting film. You know, I've compared it to Mammoth. It's, it's nowhere as, it's nowhere as good as Glengarry Glen Ross or American Buffalo, but it definitely is worth seeing. Um, for I'd say for the performances, maybe first and foremost, but, uh, but just in general, it's a, it's a, it's a solid little movie. All right. We're on to my penultimate film and my final documentary of the, of the list. Okay. Uh, and people, you weren't on, uh, for very good reasons. You couldn't make it onto the, uh, needle drops episode this year, but, uh, listeners who listen to me and Sean talk needle drops already heard me talk about this movie. It's Julian Furrow's the witches of the Orient, which is a documentary about a, um, 19 like 70s and 80s uh, Japanese women's volleyball team that um, became sort of a cultural phenomenon at the time because they went on a an unprecedented uh, winning streak and they ended up having an anime series and various manga uh, books made about them or inspired by them. Um, apparently to this day, like women's volleyball is still its own like subgenre of manga because this was like it was so popular right. at the time but um julian Fro is carving out quite a specific little niche for himself that i like <laughs> in which he is an art house documentarian who makes sports documentary documentaries that also apply to like uh um rock rock and roll enthusiasts or rock music geeks because uh, his last documentary in the realm of in the realm of perfection which was about uh john McEnroe, was entirely soundtracked uh by sonic youth songs um this time he actually has jason little from granddaddy uh write wrote two original songs for the witches of the orient and he uses those as well as the portishead song which i mentioned on the <laughs> on the on the needle drop uh and it's it's just it becomes like a collage the music is not background music the music is very forward in his movies and then he edits the interview footage and the real footage of the team at the time along with the aforementioned anime um like not in a way that is clearly separated like there will be uh a part where you're watching like a real match 
but then the commentary, the commentators that he cuts to who are like the broadcasters who are calling the match are the animated broadcasters from an episode of the anime. And so there's like, there's a lot of fun and cheekiness to yeah. it, but uh, it's also, I think cause I'm in this headspace cause so many of my picks this time have been about like about filmmaking and about imagery yeah. and what it means. There's also, I think the movie gets to a kind of a sad place where you realize that, or, or the movie maybe suggests at least that um, so much of these women's reputation, because these women are like still alive. Um, it's so much of their reputation comes from things like the manga and the anime and stuff like that. And, and this sort of like national story that you wonder if the things that they're saying in their interviews now are actually, is that actually your memory? Like, are you actually telling us what happened or what you have come to believe happened? Because this is what the culture has been spitting back yeah. at you about yourself for decades. Um, and, and so the way that like uh, uh, enough like visual documentation or, or representation of something could supplant actual memories. Hmm. So bittersweet movie, but also a lot of fun at the same time. That's Julian Froh's thing. It sound it uh, definitely sounds like it. The um, Witches of the Orient. Oh, and where's that up? Oh, that's okay. what I forgot to look up. Okay. Um, uh, we got to find a way to 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 vamp here. Um, nope. If, if this were uh, <laughs> if this were my other podcast, uh, the one where I met your mother, we we have a go to thing we do when we when we when we vamp what is um, it uh, it's, i'd like this little advertisement for the show oh um natalie reads from the trader joe's fearless flyer but in like an asmr voice <laughs> so anytime i say like vamp i have to look something up she'll just start reading like oh that sounds wonderful uh yeah uh, okay, so uh, Witches of the Orient is all over. If you're a movie subscriber, you can watch it for free on on movie, but you can also rent it from you know Vudu and Amazon and okay. places uh, like that. So uh, pretty pretty available, which is good. Okay, so next for me, uh, I'll lead off as I as I have with the last couple movies. Um, I think for the last couple of years, partially because I'm seeing so few movies, um, my you know. Uh, uh, between the cracks so we call through it the cracks <laughs> through the cracks damn yeah. it uh the um calibrate that's what i was trying to say yeah. <laughs> um but uh, my my through the cracks movies usually are 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 imperfect you know they're movies that i like and i think i think people will like but i can also definitely see flaws in the films and i could see other people not being able to get past those flaws and, and that would be understandable. And so, um, so this next film um, is directed by Trent O'Donnell. It's called ride the Eagle. Um, and it stars Jake Johnson. Um, and it was clearly made, you know, in the midst of, of COVID it, uh, there are uh, minimal uh, characters and when they do talk, they're often in separate places, um, you know, um, speaking like over the phone and it's a split screen or something like that. Um, but the story, uh, Jake Johnson plays this, you know, 30 something kind of would be musician who is 
you know, relatively content with his life. And then his mother, who he's been estranged from for a very, very long time. She was very uh, played by Susan Sarandon. Uh, She's this, you know, hippie type who basically abandoned him when he was young. So, and he hasn't really had, he's talked with her from time to time, but it certainly has not been a mother relationship, mother son relationship. Uh, But he gets word that she has died and that he will get uh, her like night. She owns a, a, a really nice cabin in the, uh, in the mountains and he will get the cabin provided he do certain things. So she has made like a video for him of like, Hey, I want you to do these things. Um, and they will make you feel free. You know, it's this very, again, it's this very hippie type thing. And so you know, he wants the cabin, so he's going to do it. Uh, and along the way he's engaging, albeit only in one direction, but he's engaging with his mom through these videos. Uh, but what I like about it, and it's often very funny. I'm a big fan of Jake Johnson. I think he can make almost anything funny, uh, just through, I think he just has, frankly, I just think his voice is funny, um, without being like, you know, uh, self-consciously funny. Um, but anyway, what I like about it is that the film rarely, if ever, if I recall correctly, it rarely like sets up these uh, these very obvious sort of indie film emotional moments where he says he doesn't really feel anything about her death, but in actuality, he really does. No, he as he's watching these videos, he, he kind of gains a certain appreciation for his mother, but that might be as far as it goes. He doesn't feel a great deal of affection for her and he doesn't really gain a great deal of affection for her. Um, you know, and, and just, and when we, when it starts to head in that direction, like we, he reminds himself and, and we are reminded like, no, this is basically a stranger. And this stranger is asking me to do these things and I will do them. Uh, and then by the end, there's this there's this nice moment where his mom is like, you know, I guess you easily could have not done these things and just said you did them, uh, <laughs> you know, and and it's this and and it's the kind of thing that that fact has not occurred to me that, yes, he could have done that. Um, but I'm sure it did occur to him, uh, him especially. And so the fact that he was doing these things, that sort of speaks that speaks more than if he were to have some big emotional breakdown. Like he is choosing through his actions to engage with what his mom wants. uh, And that might be the only connection that matters. So there's, there's a lot going on. There's uh, JK Simmons is also in the film Um, and Darcy Carden, who, if you're a fan of, of uh, the good place, you know, I think she's sort of the secret MVP of that show. Uh, She's in the film and she's an ex-girlfriend that he calls. um, And the two of them only talk over the phone and yet they still have tremendous chemistry. She's, she's wonderful uh, in, in the film and the two of them, it's the kind of thing where like they, they toy with the idea of maybe doing something and you really want it to happen because like, Oh, I, I want, like, I can see them as a couple. I don't know what their marital status is in real life. uh, But whatever it is, they should just get together because it works really well for me. Um, But yeah, so it's called ride the Eagle. It is uh, worth seeing. There is, you know, 
a lot of the stuff that you've that that it, a lot of the plot elements are things you've seen before, but the tone of it uh, is something that I think feels novel, especially because I like Jake Johnson. Uh, it's available on Hulu uh, for subscribers, and then you can rent it everywhere that you can rent things. So uh, ride the eagle, check it out. All right, um, we're on to my uh, my 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 own my my top recommendation and my only non-documentary, and it is very much not not a documentary. Although it is very much, it does take real events into uh, into its story. It's Dasha Nakrasova's "The Scary of Sixty First, mm. which is a uh, horror movie about uh two young women who rent an apartment that they later realize or at least are told was an apartment that jeffrey epstein used to uh keep young women somewhat against their will um and the two roommates go in very different directions when they 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 find this out uh in ways that it's it's a it's definitely a horror movie although it's very rarely like i wouldn't describe it as scary it's a horror movie that is uh belongs and i think someone in the shock category um or in the just like weird i can't believe this is happening <laughs> type of type of category um but not in a not in the mondo hollywood land like you should be on drugs i think you should probably not be on drugs to watch the scary of 61st or maybe, I don't know. I don't know much about drugs to be honest. Yeah. I'm kind of a square, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, but weird. And like, I can't believe someone made a schlocky B horror movie about <laughs> the Jeffrey Epstein case. Yeah. Um, and like both of the women, you know, both of the young women in some ways become, possessed it's kind of a possession type of horror movie but in different ways one literally becomes possessed where she or she is or at least thinks she is one of these like a 13 year old girl who's being uh used for sex by jeffrey epstein and his and his cohorts and the other woman gets possessed by the conspiracy theory uh uh impulse she she um starts researching i talked about on the movie journal a week or two ago when 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 i talked about this movie there's a part where she and another character played by the director um are convinced they've seen Ghislaine maxwell walk, walking around manhattan and they just like follow this woman around for like 10 minutes <laughs> um, uh and uh, see i'm laughing because the movie is it is audacious it's very audacious uh in a way that is meant to be funny but also meant to be sometimes there's i do think the movie speaks to our time sometimes sometimes movies are you know capital a about something sure like i have i the filmmaker have something to say about this uh movie sometimes but another times movies are a in, in in ways that become more useful uh to um in pro in in uh uh in the future are about our times because they could only have been made right, right now you know and and um i think scary of 61st will be a fascinating document at some point hopefully in a more sane future but who knows uh, uh, uh about a particular brand of uh insanity and an insane uh 
series of real life events that in, inspired it. But uh, so, I, like, I do think it it has that kind of worth. But also, there's there is still that dormant like punk rocker in me who kind of appreciates provocation for provocation's sake. Yeah. Sometimes, um, and you definitely get uh, uh, a lot of that with the scary of sixty first. Which All is right. also, I didn't do the, uh, it's on Shutter. Oh, right. Shutter, uh, if you okay. Shutter, you cool. can stream it, but it's also rentable at other renting places. All right. So here's the one I had to talk myself into because I couldn't, oh, I couldn't think of anything. Saved else. it for last. I would have got I that did. one out of the way first. Yeah. But I honestly, I feel passionately about it in my own way. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm willing to, so like, a, you know, I've seen a lot of like mainstream movies. Well, you can't really say they've fallen through the cracks because uh, they're like big blockbusters. And this is a big blockbuster, but it's one that in, in our circles, I didn't see a lot of people talking about. Oh my. <laughs> is that it? No. Oh, okay. no. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> Oh, I wish it were though. Uh, but you know what? It's it's similar. It is Adam Wingard's Godzilla versus Kong. First off, I might have a soft spot for it because it was the first film I saw in theaters. Right. Uh, since I admit, oh, you know what? Actually, hang on now. Um, uh, Jen and I, when we were in Arizona uh, to adopt the 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 kids and waiting for them to be born the day before they were born, we did go see uh tenant uh, at an afternoon show. And there was like one other person in the theater. So we felt okay about it. But, uh, but then, you know, then long gap and then Godzilla versus Kong was released in theaters. And I, I think I had just gotten vaccinated. So, uh, so I was like, all right, here we go. And so I think it was on one hand, it was nice to be in the theater again, but also this is a, big over the top movie. And here's, I was saying this before there's a very base basic requirement for Godzilla versus Kong, which is Godzilla needs to fight King Kong uh-huh. ideally in a city where lots of people are going to die in the process. That's how it works. Here's, here's what Godzilla versus Kong also incorporates it incorporates there's a name for it now i don't remember there's a name for this place uh in the core of the earth there is a uh a, a, another world a lost world type you know from the uh, the uh, arthur conan doyle story like all of the big monsters from the MonsterVerse, like rodan and all the and kong and all that, they all come from this place that's where they officially live but they've made their way to the surface and uh but there are you know materials that can be mined and so uh our our villains find a way down there and when they go there it's essentially like there are there are two uh, hmm, what do you even say? Two surfaces and one is just like upside down. Like you look up at the sky and you just see like an upside down, not a mirror, but you see an upside down uh, ground, uh, you know? So like you can be, yeah, you could, somebody could be, if, if you were tall enough, you could like high five somebody uh, who's uh, 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 inver- the inverse of you. It's hard to explain. Uh, the What's whole the light source. I don't know. Okay. 
uh, something. It's there. It's not in complete darkness. Mirror, um, a series of mirrors from the Earth's crust. To the exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Desmond's setup in uh, in the hatch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just rewatched that episode. That's why it's on my mind. Oh, but anyway. Wow. Um, so it, it's it, the movie is batshit crazy, and it didn't have to be. It, it needed to just be Godzilla fighting Kong. And it is that. And those sequences are actually very good. You know, there's one where it happens in the middle of the ocean and they're jumping from one battleship to the next, which I don't think is physically. Look, I know that it's Godzilla versus Kong, but she's like, I don't think a battleship could hold Godzilla, but whatever. <laughs> um, so it's this sort of it's that sort of thing. And then they go, you know, and when they do fight like in a city, it's Hong Kong. So one thing that I really like about the film is the use of color. I think it uses color in a really vibrant, beautiful way. And it may, it just creates this surreal quality uh, in the film. And, you know, uh, other people have said, and they're correct, that uh, there, there are apparently people in this movie. Uh, I don't remember any of them. I know that they're there, but uh, I also know that like, that who cares, you know, there are entry point and it's like, we don't need an entry point. It's called the Godzilla versus Kong. And by the way, they do a pretty damn good job of humanizing Kong. Like he is a full fledged character and he's more, he's sort of the person we're more connected. The character we're more connected to than Godzilla because he's more human. But uh, yeah, it's, I would say it's a movie where you, it's like, Hey, if you just turn your brain off, it's not even so much that it's just turn the logic aspect of your brain like you asked what's the light source oh you what you're thinking you're thinking wrong very wrong about this movie um and the fact that it's just so over the top and so and just building this very strange mythology that it didn't need to do um but also the idea of of developing uh you know this idea that Kong's line of giant apes has always been in combat with the Godzilla's line of giant lizards. Um, it's just so, it's so ridiculous, but I, I don't know if I'd say I love the movie, but I respect the movie that it, it, it went so far beyond, uh, beyond anything you could ever think it would be. Um, and I really, it's Adam Wingard and I like Adam Wingard yeah, and yeah. I like what he, what he brings to the film. And so, uh, I, so it, it really hasn't been in the conversation amongst like movie people when talking about like the big mainstream movies of the year. Meanwhile, I do think that it's, it's, it's so much less, it's so much less predictable than, uh, than a lot of the films that, that are in that, are in that conversation. And it deserves to be, in, in involved in that conversation so godzilla versus kong is my through the cracks uh entry well we did it um hopefully and i, I guess that one's probably on hbo max right because it's a uh, movie. yes oh oh boy hang on now okay it's on this goes back to what we were talking about before as far as names for things it's on hbo max it's on hbo it's on max go which is a cinemax thing right Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I didn't really. But so it's existed. like, yeah, I know. But like, so it's on Max Go. There, there was HBO Go. Now it's HBO Max. But now there's Max Go, 
it's and then direct tv and and uh but then you can rent it uh oh hang on never mind it appears you can buy it a lot of places oh okay. but you can only watch it uh you can only rent it uh on those services so or you can go to redbox there you go you can go to the, your local redbox uh yeah it's right there at redbox next to mondo hollywood land <laughs> all right well um you can find reviews of some of these movies at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DavyPretension. As I mentioned, um, uh, my other podcast is called The One Where I Met Your Mother. Natalie, my wife, and I uh, watch an episode of Friends, an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week, and we compare and contrast and talk about, uh, uh, go off on, on, on tangents about public transportation or something uh that was two weeks ago this week i I don't know what my tangents were but this week we talked about the one where joey moves out and we talked about the how many other episode which is called stuff okay um and that's uh yeah uh you can find that at battleshipretension.com or wherever you listen to podcasts you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension tyler what do you have to plug uh I'm, I think I might've mentioned this last week, but the episode is now available. I'm on, uh, I'm on, uh, the, the fear of God podcast talking about Valley of the shadow, the spiritual value of horror. Um, the show is, is co-hosted by Reed Lackey, who I co-wrote the film with, uh, but then Bill Oberst Jr. The, uh, the, uh, horror actor who did our narration, he is also a guest on that. So you can find that, uh, just search for fear of God podcast and you'll find it. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 